Thank you so much, David. And thanks, guys, for um, having me again. Um, mustn't have been too horrible last time. Um, no, it's, it's a joy to be to be with you this morning, and um, yeah, a joy to 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 share with you and and to to see your families and see what the Lord is doing among you guys. It's a blessing. So, um, I was sharing last uh, two weeks ago. Um, I think I met most of you, but um, yeah, I'm married to Suna. We've got two beautiful children. I brought them on quickly before. Um, Ivy and Reuben, and um, and we're, we're part of Westview Baptist Church in in Duneside, uh, where we've been for for many years now. And um, yeah, the link to your church is knowing Nate and Esther for quite a few years now, um, and um, yeah, having a joy of having friendship with them. And uh, and it's especially an added bonus uh, for me to be um, in some way just contributing to uh, assist them in this time. So I'm thankful for that as well. Um, it is my routine to pray. So I know we just prayed, but um, yeah, I think I feel, I feel out of sorts if I don't pray. So um, I might pray for myself and for us again, if you don't mind. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this wonderful opportunity uh, to think about your word. Um, and just remind it again, Lord, of my need uh, and of our need um, to, to, to do everything we do um, in Jesus and in the power of your spirit. So now um, speak through me, um, work in me and work in us what's pleasing to you, Father, for your glory. Amen. Uh, Last time we were together, um, you may remember, you may not, um, that we looked at at suffering and and joy in the light of of what Jesus uh, went through in his life. And we, we especially focused on the physical and the spiritual pain of what Jesus suffered. Um, even as he became sin for us, um, facing the punishment that our sins deserve to bring us forgiveness, um, to make us God's children forever, as has come out again this morning. Um, and today I just wanted to focus on in our time together, something I've been thinking about, um, had the privilege this year of having a very long sabbatical and, and just had the privilege to sort of step back a little bit more and um, and maybe maybe enjoy the scriptures a little more. Um, uh, and uh, it's been wonderful to be looking a little bit at Luke's gospel lately um, through through that different lens. And just wanted to share some of those snapshots with you guys this morning. So that's sort of what we're doing. Um, just looking at three um, at three snapshots of Jesus' life. And um, and um, yeah, Peter tells us this is what we're doing. Peter tells us that uh, Jesus' suffering is an example for us that we sh- that we might follow in His steps. Uh, in Ephesians 5, we're told to be imitators of God. Uh, 1 John tells us that whoever says he abides in Jesus or, or lives in Jesus, that is, they're united to him, they're, they're followers of Jesus, born again of God. Uh, he says they ought to walk or live in the same way in which uh, Jesus did. Um, so we should expect that Jesus followers, as Jesus followers, we should expect that we're growing in the likeness of Jesus um, every day. Um, if he is the vine, if that we use that image uh, that I've spoken about before uh, with you guys uh, from John 15, if Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, the, the fruit of our lives should be like him. Uh, we should not be, not be expected to be perfected uh, here. Um, but but we will bear fruit to the Father's glory if we are his children. So particularly Romans 8, something I've been reflecting on a lot this year. Um, our hope is not in the confession of um, the past, um, although that's not unimportant, um, or our baptism, um, again, not unimportant. Um, just this week, I, I kind of... Um, 
got a flashback of that when one of my aunties, uh, who's in a follower of Jesus, uh, had had sent me um, my my testimony that she had found, she stumbled upon after twenty years or so, um, and had a precious letter from my from my dad who passed away ten years ago on the back, which was really precious to read. Uh, but that's not where our that's not where our um, hope lies, you know, not in not in what we did, um, but in who who he is today, uh, in our faith today, in who he is and what he has promised to do for us. So what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do, um, that's where our hope is today, uh, not ultimately looking back. And so Hebrews 12 reminds us, we looked at, at this last time we're together, um, but to to look to Jesus, the, the pioneer, the, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, um, you know, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And we saw that especially last time, that his suffering was enabled, if you like, through joy, because of his joy in his father, because of his joy in bringing us to glory, in, in his joy in receiving that name that he deserves to receive. Um, and so I want to help us to, to do this, um, to, to look to Jesus, to, to look to his example uh, for us by, by considering these three aspects uh, of what particularly we see in Luke's gospel. Um, these are things that Jesus breathed, his life breathed in, if you like. It's, it's what his soul soaked in. Um, it's who he was every day. Uh, this was his, his lifeblood. And so uh, my hope is that by grace, through the Spirit, this morning, we may allow our souls to uh, likewise soak in these same places, to walk as he walked, to live as he lived. So that that freedom day tomorrow, that freedom would not be an opportunity to please the flesh, as Paul says, uh, but to serve one another in love, to, to, to glorify our God and Father. Um, yeah, so may our freedom be used um, for all that it's intended to be used for. So firstly, then let's look at the first aspect um, and the first two are kind of longer. And then the, the last one um, we'll just briefly touch on. But this first one in Luke's gospel that we see in Jesus' life is the place of the word of God for him, uh, the, the place that the word of God had in Christ. Uh, so if you want to open your Bibles, this one we'll look at a little bit more extensively at the text. And, and then uh, after that, we'll... Um, We'll just sort of briefly mention things. But um, Luke chapter 4, if you have a Bible, uh, I will read it. Um, but if you've got a Bible there, it might be handy. Luke 4 from verse 1. Let me read that. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, 
he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. There's so much here, of course, um, but just in passing, I love Luke's comment. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Uh, <laughs> um, a little bit of an understatement, maybe, um, from Luke. Uh, if, if anyone has done uh, just a few days of fasting, uh, you would know that Jesus is incredibly hungry. Uh, he's quite literally starving here. He's not eaten for 40 days. And it's at this moment where he is so physically weak and depleted, and with every excuse we could say in the whole world, every excuse in the whole world to show himself to be the son of God in, in power, and just, just turn some stones into bread. I mean, he did this, he went on to do this all the, you know, all the time. He fed people from nothing, and we, we come back to this, we'll come back to this count in, in the, one of the other points as well. But just for now, I want you to notice Jesus' authority here. What is his what is his barometer? What is his standard in his tiredness and hunger? What is he what does he weigh things by, even when he's feeling all he's feeling, uh, these competing feelings against him, his physical need for food, you know? Um, what is what does he weigh this against? Well, it is written. It is written. It is said. It, it is for Jesus, isn't it? It is for our Lord Jesus, the word of God. It's God's word alone that is his, his measuring line. It's his ruler. It's, it's the truth standard by which Jesus lives or dies, quite literally. It is what he looks to continually. It's what he hopes in continually. It is his truth. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus says. But surely you need bread, Jesus. You're, you're a human being after all, and you've waited 40 days. You've waited so long. Come on, you, you deserve it, Jesus. Just turn a stone into bread and eat. No. He knew what this moment meant, didn't he? Jesus would not be dictated to by the devil about proving himself to be the son of God. He had nothing to prove. And later, similarly, Jesus would not answer the Pharisees. You might remember their call for him to prove himself. Where does he get this authority from? And when he's arrested in the garden, remember when Peter tries to stop this happening by pulling out his sword and chopping off one of the servant's ears, the high priest's servant's ears, and Jesus, after telling him to put his sword away, and he does heal his ear as well, he says this, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Jesus knew the power at his disposal, didn't he? But his highest goal was to please his father. And we talked about that last time. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. His aim was to only act in accord with his father's will and, and not with Satan's will not even with his own human desire to eat. Jesus does tell Peter to put his sword away, but Jesus has his own sword, we could say, here in the desert, doesn't he? 
It's the very word of God. Ephesians 6 reminds us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Sword of the spirit. This was Jesus' weapon every time against the devil and against all that he faced. I read this and thought it would be worth mentioning because I was wondering why you might notice, you might have noticed it says twice, it is written, Jesus says twice, it is written, it is written. And then the third time he says, it is said. Um, and, and he says a different word there, that is not, not as it is written, it is written. Um, but the third time he says, it is said. I read this yesterday and I, I thought it was helpful. Um, well, just the other day, rather. Each quotation thus far in the episode has been introduced by It Stands Written. As if the devil's use has contaminated this form, now Jesus says it has been said, which is a, uh, you know, a word that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16, at Massa the people confronted God about the preservation of their lives, Exodus 17.3, but the faithful man does not seek to dictate to God how he must express his covenant loyalty and fulfill his promises. That would be to put God to the test and a failure to believe that God will do well by his son or by his people, end of quote. Jesus would never dictate to his father. He never did what the father must do in order to prove his loyal love for the son. Because Jesus always knew, didn't he, that he was perfectly loved by his father. Even after 40 days without food, can you imagine what he is going through? Fully human in his human limitations, fully hungry, and he trusted that his father knew best and that his father would provide everything he needed when he needed it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have everything I need, the psalmist writes. And so Jesus knew this in perfection. This was his food and drink, the word of God. He lived it. In fact, he was the word incarnate, God's eternal word in the flesh, the truth of God in human body. So this is the first thing I want us to notice here in passing just this morning is that for Jesus, the word of God was his sustenance. It was his daily food and meditation. It was his combat weapon against all the temptations of the flesh, the world, and the devil. So much so that even when Satan tries to misuse the word to cause Jesus to test the father, he sees right through this, doesn't he? Because the word is so much a part of him. And my prayer is, brothers and sisters, that it would be so much a part of us. The second, then, of these three aspects of Jesus' life that I just want to touch on this morning is that he, he breathed life. This, this, this second thing, it also breathed life. It soaked into his soul. It was who he was every day, likewise. And this was a daily walking in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. A daily walking in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived his life always and only in the power and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And this has been really huge for me over the past year or so, especially. Uh, I shared with you guys back in June when I came there 
when we were still meeting uh, in the flesh and we were, we were meeting uh, physically. Uh, don't worry, I won't quiz you on that sermon or anything. Um, but um, back then I touched a little on this. Uh, I spoke especially on John 15 um, on the truth of abiding in Christ, that apart from him, Jesus says, we can do nothing. Um, Jesus did not say there in John 15 that just as a nice gesture for us or, or just as a good idea for those who are particularly weak in their faith. Uh, no, he says, he says what he meant. He says what he means, that apart from me, nothing of any value or worth in God's eyes can be accomplished. But through abiding in a relationship with him, we bear much fruit to the Father's glory. And then Jesus tells his disciples after this that he's about to leave them, you might remember. But the question is then, how will they and how do we now access the vine in order to bear this fruit? You may remember what Jesus said to them, that it was to their advantage, as I said, that he go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The truth is, Jesus has not left us alone, maybe nothing new. He has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within the hearts of his people. Romans 5 tells us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it seems clear that Paul, for Paul, there's more there. He says, against such things, there is no law. Um, and the invitation there in Galatians is for those who belong to Christ Jesus to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, and to keep in step with the Spirit. He uses those four very similar ways of talking about the same thing. And so the help for me the help for me has been to see in the scriptures that this is then how we abide in Christ. We abide in Christ through his Holy Spirit. We live in him, through him, in his power and his work in us through his spirit. And here we're told in Luke's gospel that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit then descends on Jesus at his baptism when the Father speaks from heaven. Jesus, we're told then, is full of the Holy Spirit. We read this just before in chapter 4, full of the Holy Spirit. And then right away, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that's a sermon in itself, isn't it? Led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And after this, he overcomes this temptation. We're told that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Uh, Luke seems at pains to tell us something, doesn't he? And then he reads from the scroll about himself. Jesus does right after this saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me from Isaiah. And beautifully then in chapter 10 of Luke, we're told that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, thanking his Father for his wonderful grace in his revelation of himself to what Jesus says to little children. And finally, in chapter 11, Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I'm so encouraged by this truth. Our Father loves us so much, more than we could ever imagine, even so much to send his Son, his innocent, holy, eternal Son, to die for all our wrongdoing, to make us his children forever. This is just incredible love. He has graciously given us all things in Christ, and he has given us everything we need to live and everything we need to overcome this world and the temptations of the devil and our flesh that we face and that we will face. He waits for his opportune times, doesn't he, the devil? He waits for his opportune times, and then he seeks to devour like a lion, doesn't he? But the writer of the letter of the Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every respect. That's an incredible verse. In every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm convinced Brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that this text here in Hebrews must mean in uh, what it must mean is that Jesus in his temptations, he never used his divine nature, his godness. He never used him being God, the son eternally. He never used it as a type of, if you like, monopoly, get out of jail free card. He never used it that way. He never faced temptation and went, oh, well, I'm God. I'm just going to use the fact that I'm God here to overcome. No, on the contrary, this verse is telling us the very opposite thing. Jesus at every turn when he was tempted, he was as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted as a man. And as a man, what did he do? He trusted fully in God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave us an example to follow in his footsteps. He didn't do something that he's not given us power to do. And brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, we have been given that very same Holy Spirit. This is just an incredibly precious truth. We have been given all that we need. We lack nothing to overcome the flesh, the world, and the devil. I think far too often we believe the very opposite to that. I'm not saying we will be sinless. I'm not saying that we will be perfected here. Paul said he's not yet arrived. We lack nothing, though. The truth is we lack nothing in Christ, nothing in the gift of his word and in the gift of his Holy Spirit. By his power, we can, we've been enabled, we're able to say no to sin, to self, to Satan. We are in truth, brothers and sisters, more than conquerors through him who loved us. So for Jesus, then, it was the word of God that was his daily bread, his sustenance, his his measuring line, even in those most testing times, it was always where he looked to, what he knew, and what he spoke and lived out, the word of God. And secondly, we've seen here that Jesus lived his life always and only in the power and joy of the Holy Spirit, a very beautiful and precious truth because he's given that spirit to us. And thirdly and finally then, and just briefly, the third aspect I wanted to highlight of Jesus' life 
that um, that he breathed in, that he soaked in who he was every day was was communion with the Father. Uh, recently, or prayer, if you want, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Recently, I looked up all the references to prayer in, in Luke, and you probably won't be surprised to, to know that Jesus certainly prayed. Um, we're told, though, that he would withdraw, aren't we? He would withdraw to desolate places to pray. He prayed all night long before choosing his 12 disciples. He commanded his people to pray for those who abuse us and how to pray to our Father in heaven. He would go up on mountains to pray with his disciples. He told them that the harvest was plentiful. Remember, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, he said, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect, we read, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He was so zealous for his father's house being a house of prayer, so much so that when, when it was being abused and misused, he literally got the whip out, didn't he? And in Peter's great temptation and denial, it was Jesus who told him beforehand that he had prayed for him, that his faith may not fail. And, of course, we know he prays for us. And, of course, what is our Lord Jesus doing there? We spoke about this last time in that most difficult moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing all that was about to take place. He would face even God's judgment against our sin. He's in prayer with his father. And he's urging his disciples there in the garden, isn't he, again and again, to pray that they may not enter into temptation. Pray. Brothers and sisters, prayer was the heartbeat of who Jesus was, intimacy with his father. So as we finish up considering these aspects and tying them in, I suppose, I'm not sure what you're feeling at the moment, um, we've had a little bit of this come out this morning about tomorrow, about the restrictions easing, easing more generally over these weeks and months ahead. Maybe you are filled with excitement. Um, that's, that's good. Um, excitement to be back to normal rhythms, maybe to have some of those uh, wonderful expressions of relationship that we're missing. Maybe though it's fear. Maybe it's some, there's some fear in some of us at the, at the prospect of, of, of change or the risk of COVID. Or, or the risk for others. I know for me, even just the change, so much change in the last two years can leave us feeling anxious. What will this mean? What will happen? What will this look like? I've got used to this, maybe. Maybe it's a little of all those things you're feeling. Or maybe it's totally different worries that you're feeling this morning and fears in your heart, even, even great difficulties that have nothing or no bearing at all to do with COVID and restrictions, and they are just heavy on your heart. But what I do know is this. If you're united to Christ by faith, if you've turned from sin and self-trust and placed your trust in Jesus, then he's given you everything that you need, brothers and sisters. Take heart. The phrase, this phrase has become very real to me, very precious to me, very true to me over these last few months. Father, you have given us everything we need. We lack nothing but eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. God has given us his word, hasn't he? He's given us his spirit and he has given us communion with himself. 
not to mention the gift of one another, his church. And Jesus lived in these, the word, the spirit, and communion with the Father. His life was breathed in. His soul was soaked in. This was who he was every day. Do not forget in your struggle against sin, brothers and sisters, against temptation, against fear, against worry, against all these things, do not forget in your temptation that Jesus was fully man. He was fully human like you. Yes, he was fully God, 100%. But he was also fully man, fully human. And he did not use his divine nature to escape the temptations that you and I face. He did not do that. But in every respect, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. The word of God, the spirit of God, and communion with God were the aspects that defined and empowered and that he rejoiced in. By his grace, by his power, may it be the same for us in this season, even of freedom. May it be true freedom in these gifts that he has given us, even himself. Let us then, brothers and sisters, with confidence, confidence in him, our Lord Jesus, let us draw near together. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because he never puts to shame. I love this. He never puts to shame the one who seeks him, the one who trusts him, the one who relies on him, the one who waits on him. He never puts him to shame. So let us look to him. Let us enjoy these things that Christ enjoyed and let us live in them. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that you have given us everything we need. We lack nothing. We lack nothing but eyes to see what you've already given us to enjoy what you've already given us. Give us eyes to see and enjoy and live in the freedom of these things. In your abundant goodness, you have given us your word, your spirit and communion with yourself, even to come to you as Father, even as Abba. May we live as Jesus lived, in the sustenance and life of your word, in the power and joy of your Holy Spirit, and in the deep intimacy with you as our Father in heaven as your dearly loved and precious children. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us grace to live there where you have placed us in Christ so that with confidence we may draw near daily to that throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, in our time of temptation. Today is our need. Today is the time of our need, Father, and tomorrow and every day. So come and fill our hearts, we pray, that we might bring glory and praise and honour to your most holy name. Amen.